The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks doing something for the first time in a month as investor attention shifts back to the Fed in two days of Capitol Hill testimony from Chairman Jay Powell. Also, European antitrust concerns back in the limelight as Amazon CEO Andy Jassy prepares for his first face-to-face with the block's competition chief. But first, we speak with her in a Worldwide Exchange exclusive. Also, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi also has big tech on his radar, but for very different reasons as he prepares to launch an all-out charm offensive on Silicon Valley. Plus, FedEx shares falling as demand outlook. It continues to disappoint. And then later in the show, a possible breakthrough in that Titanic area subsearch. It is Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after stocks closed lower for a second straight session in a row yesterday. Taking a look at futures right now, you can see it is actually green, very slightly green right now. Just a minute ago, it was fractionally lower. Now you see all three of the indices fractionally higher, but we're going to call that basically flat. All right, now looking at energy. Oil coming off a whipsaw session that saw it end the day down more than 1%. This morning, we're seeing a bit of a rebound. WTI crude right now up a quarter percent. Brent crude up very fractionally. Natural gas up almost 1%. However, WTI and Brent, they're both off their highs from yesterday morning at the same time. We're also looking at cryptocurrency. We are seeing a bit of a, a, a Bitcoin bounce back, back above 28,000 this morning, up 3%. Ether up over 1.5%. All right, turning now to a developing story and fresh comments from China after President Biden late yesterday called that country's leader a, quote, dictator. Those comments possibly negating any goodwill created during Antony Blinken's face-to-face with Xi Jinping last weekend. Our Eunice Yu now joins me from Beijing with more on this story. Eunice. Over to you. Thanks, Frank. Well, it's unclear if President Biden's remarks will undermine the positive momentum that was brought about by Secretary Blinken's visit here to China. Uh, The uh, comments uh, were covered by the foreign ministry uh, when asked specifically about President Biden's uh, reference to President Xi as a dictator. The foreign ministry, as you would expect, uh, was very critical, saying that this violated China's political dignity, amounted to public political provocation and also called the remark absurd and irresponsible. Uh, Bear in mind, though, that China has uh, made similar remarks when President Biden has uh, called out President Xi, for example, during the State of the Union address, when President Biden had uh, suggested that President Xi is not in an enviable uh, position at that time. The foreign ministry had also called President Biden irresponsible for those remarks. And another um, interesting um, uh, situation right now, Frank, is that the state media 
media has not been covering uh, President Biden's remarks about uh, the word dictator. Uh, so it's suggesting that perhaps, um, as we've seen, the Chinese authorities are looking to push forward uh, with this relationship, especially with the economy in such dire straits. So, Eunice, while we have you, I want to ask you about something. We're following new reports this morning that Chinese regulators are now looking into two major U.S. companies. What do we know about this? Well, um, I think this is a perfect example, Frank, of uh, one of the big complaints of the business community here, and that is all the uncertainty about doing business here. Uh, what you're talking about is the Shanghai regulators have summoned both Starbucks and Shake Shack uh, for um, looking into their, the, the way that they collect uh, personal data um, and suggesting that the practice is too excessive. So uh, not a lot of clarity there, but it's exactly the type of thing that unnerves the business community here. All right, Eunice Yoon, live in Beijing. Eunice, thank you very much. And speaking of China, a quick programming alert. A new CNBC documentary looks at how Chinese spies are targeting corporate America, including what U.S. law enforcement says is an illicit campaign by China to dominate global high-tech industries. China's corporate spy war. It debuts tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on CNBC, 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific here on CNBC. All right, turning our attention back to the markets, the major averages, they're coming off their first back-to-back losses since last since the last full week of May. But overall, it's been a good month, with the S&P up 5% in June. This is investor attention shifts back to the Fed today, where Chairman Jay Powell gets set for two days of testimony before lawmakers. This day on Capitol Hill follows the Fed's first rate hike pause in nearly 15 months. Joining me now, Craig Johnson, Chief Market Technician at Piper Sandler. Craig, always great to see you. Great to see you, Frank, and good morning. All right, so a lot of eyes on Jay Powell on Capitol Hill. So I want to bounce this off you. We've had a week since that, you know, so-called hawkish pause. S&P up a half a percent, NASDAQ up 1%. Powell on Capitol Hill expected to face a lot of questions about the future of rate hikes. How does this move the markets? What can he say to keep this rally going? Well, I think, Frank, at this point in time, I think what Powell can come back and ultimately say is, is that this is perhaps just a pause at this point in time. But when we go through and we look at history, Frank, and we look at when we've seen a pit stop, a pause, and you look at the performance of the market from sort of a last hike perspective to the first cut, we've often seen that equity markets typically move higher. So I think at this point in time, I think you're going to continue to see equity markets uh, move higher. In fact, from that first cut, or sorry, last hike, the first cut, the markets have moved over 12 percent higher. So, uh, so Craig, I, I want to jump in. So you're expecting to lead the markets, maybe not say it explicitly, but lead the markets to the idea that a cut's coming up, not two more hikes like the dot plot. No, uh, to be clear, Frank, that could be months away before you actually get some sort of cut. Uh, the dot plot is suggesting you've got two potential uh, rate increases coming, uh, potentially one in July. Probabilities are pretty low, though. But the reason I highlighted this in our most recent publication, Frank, is just to start to put the idea into people's mind mm-hmm. that when you get that last hike, before you get to the first cut, markets have historically moved higher. And that's what I think you'll ultimately see happen and happen through the rest of this year. All right, Craig, I want to go to your wheelhouse, the technicals. Uh, S&P, best start since the late 90s, I believe 1997. Technically, what does that signal to us about the rest of the year? Does that change your S&P price target of 4625 
Yeah, stock. I mean, uh, Frank, I mean, stocks in motion tend to stay in motion is what is kind of what we've seen. And when we've gone back and we've looked at uh, historical periods from January through June and you got better than an 8 percent return, you've typically seen positive returns for the full year. In fact, most of those returns have been in the mid 20s in terms of returns for the full year. So there's still more room to go. We did establish a 4625 year end price objective uh, December of last year. And from our perspective, we think that's going to be an achievable objective. I don't think we're going to get there in a straight line. I do think over the summer months, Frank, we're going to get some consolidation, backing and filling some of these large cap stocks, probably consolidate a little bit. But again, ultimately into year end, post-September, I think you get a strong push into year end. All right, something to watch. I think I think you were the originator of the hop and the pop and the drop. I've heard other people say it. I'm going to credit you. Craig Johnson, it is great to see you. Thanks, Frank. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, two can't-miss interviews coming up in the next 45 minutes, starting with a Worldwide Exchange exclusive with EU antitrust chief Marguerite Bestier, fresh off her office's new charges against Google. And then later, a first on CNBC interview, Roku CEO Anthony Wood joins us live from Cannes, Lions, and France on content, the streaming wars, and much more. It is all right here when Worldwide Exchange returns. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Let's get a check on the action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with your global briefing. Juliana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning. Well, here in Europe, things have got off to a soggy start. After a mixed handover from Asia, we saw some outsized gains, outsized losses, excuse me, in Hong Kong. The Hang Seng market pulling back significantly overnight, but the Japanese market bucked the trend and ended higher. In terms of European trade, all eyes on the UK inflation report, which came through a few hours ago, showing that inflation continues to run hotter than expected. So creating a very difficult backdrop for the Bank of England, which meets tomorrow. Now, traders are saying that there's a near 50 percent chance that the Bank of England goes for a 50 basis point or half a percentage point hike tomorrow. We were looking at just 25 basis points at the start of trade today. So uh, a lot of focus on the UK inflation picture. And as a result, from a sector perspective, we are seeing uh, significant losses for the UK home builders. A lot of concern around what higher rates for longer will mean for the UK mortgage market. Frank. All right, Juliana, thank you very much. We'll see you later in the show. All right, let's stick with Europe now and turn our attention to Brussels. Today, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy will meet with Marguerite Vestier, the EU's top antitrust regulator, likely discussing the future of how his company does business in the region under the still new Digital Markets Act. Jassy, however, is not the only big tech CEO getting some face time with the watchdog. 
On Monday, Meta Platform CEO Mark Zuckerberg sat down with Vestier and her team, weighing in on AI usage safeguards and draft rules likely to be adopted by the EU and the U.S. in coming months. Monday's meeting also had other implications. The EU is currently investigating Meta and other big tech players for possible violations of antitrust laws. Vestier's office is also reportedly looking to possibly block Adobe's $20 billion deal for digital design suite Figma. Just last week, her office charged Google with anti-competitive practices, charges that could force the company to sell part of its ad tech business or face billions of dollars in fines. Joining me now on all of this and much more in a Worldwide Exchange exclusive is EU Competition Commissioner and Executive Vice President Marguerite Vestier. Commissioner Vestier, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for this executive summary of, uh, of what we, we're doing. It, it sounds quite impressive in, in your mouth, I must say. Well, it's certainly a lot going on. So I want to start off with the news for today. You're meeting up with Amazon CEO Andy Jassy. Amazon, of course, the biggest cloud player globally, about 40 percent market share. What are we what are you expecting from this meeting? What do you think the big takeaway will be? Well, one thing was obviously important. We've had an, an antitrust uh, case uh, with uh, Amazon that we have settled uh, in order to have a, a data silo so that the Amazon retail will not use the data of the smaller retailers uh, on, the, on the marketplace, but also that a second buy box will come live to give consumers more choice than they have already. And then, of course, it is very important for us the push for a code of conduct on, in particular, generative uh, AI, uh, in order for us to, you know, safely embrace all the benefits that can come with using these new generations of artificial intelligence. All right, so I do want to ask you about AI. You met with Meta Platform CEO Mark Zuckerberg to discuss possible rules and also usage and safeguards. What direction is the EU going in when it comes to AI? You've seemingly been ahead of U.S. regulators so far and just looking at how this is being used. Give investors, that's our main audience, give them a sense of what direction you're going in, because there's a thought that the U.S. in some form or fashion will follow your lead. I think the most important strategic choice is not to regulate technology as such. Uh, but to regulate the use of technology and only to regulate when something fundamental is at stake so that there is a risk of customers being discriminated uh, when they want a mortgage or for patients not being seen as, as who they are in, in, in the health sector. Um, but all of that will happen in, in a couple of years or so. And, and when you look at the generation of, of generative AI, a couple of years is like a century. So what we are pushing uh, with the U.S. and with other global partners is a voluntary code of conduct when it comes to generative AI, because the potential is so enormous. And it would be great if businesses felt that they could safely use generative uh, AI. So, so we try to bridge the situation between now and legislation uh, kicking in. Uh, by voluntary commitments with the U.S., uh, if possible, with uh, India, uh, of course, with a, a number of European countries, uh, with Japan, in order for people to see, well, we can safely use also this new, very powerful uh, AI that we literally now have at, at our fingertips. Well, let me ask you, what has been the response to this idea of a voluntary code of conduct? What kind of feedback have you gotten from big tech CEOs, not only here in the U.S., but also there in the EU? I think the feedback is uh, is pretty good. Um, I think there is a sense that there is a need, 
uh, and in particular that there is a need for a, a an, an international uh, step forward uh, instead of different uh, jurisdictions competing about who can do less or who, or who can do more. Because one of the things here is, of course, that in the development of these large uh, language uh, models, this is very costly. It's also important that you have large uh, market access and that you have a sense of, of level playing field. And I think a voluntary code of conduct would be part of the answer in providing for this. As part of that voluntary code of conduct, how, does you, how do you address data privacy? A lot of concerns about training these AI models and where the data comes from. And for example, I was speaking with the CEO of Aleph Alpha, uh, a German AI company, and they mentioned that there are some concerns about the fact that the AI models might be trained with a California sensibility as opposed to a Heidelberg sensibility. Yes, uh, that is indeed important for, for developers uh, to consider uh, because there are huge differences uh, between us, uh, between Norwegians, between Italians, uh, between Americans. So, uh, so it is really important to take that uh, thing into consideration. That is one thing. The second thing is uh, issues like copyright, trade secrets, uh, how to make sure that you can actually uh, protect your, your trade secrets and, and what you have of copyright and IP rights, that they are yours and that they remain uh, yours also when you're engaged with okay. uh, the large uh, language models. All right, we have to talk, talk a little antitrust. Big focus for you. Last week, the European Commission charged Google with violating European antitrust laws using its position in online advertising to minimize its rivals. You're also looking at that Adobe Figma deal, each, of course, an individual case. But how should investors, how should we view your broader view? Well, I think uh, the positive for, for investors is, of course, that what we are striving for is a level playing field, an open marketplace where uh, market power is contestable, where other businesses can scale up and, and find their customers. For, for the Google case, uh, this is a, a preliminary view, but there is an, an inherent conflict of interest because uh, Google is at the sales side, they are at the buy side, they are at the market uh, when it comes to the uh, the ad tech uh, stack. And it's, it's difficult to see if our case is proven how that can be sold without actually selling out selling off either one part uh, of the conflict of interest or the other parts of the sell side or the buy side. So as that case continues to move forward, I know you said you're all about fairness and basically balancing out the playing field. But could we see some, you know, moves that you just mentioned, forcing companies to sell part of their business? Is that the direction that you believe that you're going to continue to go in? Well, it's uh, it's an extraordinary uh, move on on our side. We, of course, have the obligation to to uh, to to enforce the less intrusive uh, remedy that will solve the competition concern. And this also shows why we're saying this, this might actually be the way to go, that we're talking about sort of deep ingrained conflicts of interest in a very complex market where this idea of, of behavioral uh, commitments seems to be quite far-fetched uh, if they can at all be, be monitored uh, by anyone uh, who is not controlling the algorithms uh, that are put to work here. So it's an extraordinary situation. But of course, it shows our willingness to use our tools if we meet situations where this is uh, the only solution uh, that might work. All right, Commissioner, before we let you go, one personal note. Reports are that you're up for possibly leading the European Investment Bank. Any statement you want to make about that? No, not at all. This is, this is very early days. And, and first, there is a vetting process uh, among the, the different uh, sort of potential candidates uh, to check qualifications.
All right, Commissioner Vestier, we appreciate your time. Thank you for your time and your insight on all these matters. Have a great day. It was, it was my pleasure to be with you. Have a very nice day. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, a possible breakthrough in the ongoing search for a missing submarine last seen touring the wreck of the Titanic. Huge story that everybody's been following. We have the latest details when we return right here on Worldwide Exchange. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, a developing story as the search continues for that missing submarine carrying five people last seen exploring the wreck of the Titanic more than 3,800 meters below sea level. This morning, a possible breakthrough in that search. NBC's Jay Gray joins me now with much more on that. Jay, good morning. Hey, good morning, Frank. And, you know, teams from the air have heard noises beneath the surface. CNN reporting that government documents show a banging beneath the surface of the water every 30 minutes. That's giving hope to those teams working on this massive search and rescue mission, which is being run out of the Coast Guard office here in Boston. Additional planes, ships, specialized equipment and rescue teams from around the world right now rushing into a 7,600-square-mile search zone in the Atlantic, an area larger than the state of Connecticut. What I can tell you is uh, there is a full press, full court press effort uh, to get equipment on scene as quickly as we can. The mission, unlike any before, and pushing into deeper water using sonar and an underwater drone. But to this point, there's been no sign of the Ocean Gate submersible missing since Sunday morning, less than two hours after beginning a tourist expedition to explore wreckage from the Titanic with five men inside. The pilot and Ocean Gate founder and CEO Stockton Rush, British businessman Shahazda Daywood and his son Suleiman, French diver Paul-Henri Narjolet, and billionaire adventurer Hamish Harding. The text I got was, hey, we're headed down to Titanic today, exclamation point. That text from Harding to his friend and former astronaut Terry Virts just before the journey began. I would assume they're stuck on the bottom in the mud or somehow entangled in Titanic. It's a search and rescue mission. So first of all, they have to find them. An effort that continues around the clock. Yeah, it's a clock those rescue teams are keenly aware of estimates this morning, Frank, that about 24 hours of oxygen remains inside that sub. Well, FJ, everyone certainly remains hopeful. We're here in the U.S. Navy is also rushing in specialized equipment right now. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, they are trying to get some salvage equipment inside that search zone. So if the sub is located, they can help to pull it up and out of the water. But remember, they've got to find it and they've got to get it to the surface. And as we've been saying, they're really up against it as far as the clock is concerned. All right, our Jay Gray live in Boston. I think everybody's keeping their finger crossed. A lot of prayers for those people trapped down there. All right, Jay Gray, thank you. Yeah. All right, straight ahead, shares of Roku up more than 67% this year, beating returns of rival Netflix. Coming up, we speak with Roku CEO Anthony Wood 
live from Ken Lyons in a first on CNBC interview. His take on that stellar stock performance, the streaming wars, and much more when we come back. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Heading for the hot seat, Fed Chair Jay Powell set to testify before lawmakers as investors look for any fresh clues on the central bank's policy path forward. We're also watching shares of FedEx taking a hit ahead of the open as the transport giant signals a rocky road ahead. But our next guest not changing his bullish tune. And India's prime minister continues his U.S. tour set to meet with some of tech's biggest leaders as that country looks to potentially move business away from China. It is Wednesday, June the 21st. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's pick up a half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures with the major indices coming off their second straight session of losses. Taking a look right now, bit of a mixed picture, really mostly flat, but the Nasdaq just fractionally lower. The S&P and the Dow Jones fractionally higher. Okay, now for a check of some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Fed Chairman Jay Powell heads to Capitol Hill this morning to kick off two days of testimony to lawmakers. Powell will go before the House Financial Services Committee today and the Senate Banking Committee tomorrow as part of a mandated semi-annual report on monetary policy. Now, the Fed chairman is expected to face tough questions on the central bank's plans for bringing inflation under control and how much further it will raise its key interest rate moving forward. India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi is set to continue his visit to the U.S. today as he prepares for a sit-down with a number of American executives. Sources tell CNBC that Apple CEO Tim Cook, Google CEO Sundar Pichai, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, and FedEx CEO Raj Subramaniam will be among those attending a White House state dinner with Modi tomorrow. Those sources at a separate meeting with tech leaders is also in the works for this Friday with plans to focus on diversifying business away from China. And this after Tesla CEO Elon Musk met with Modi yesterday in New York City, with Musk calling the meeting, quote, excellent, adding that Tesla will be in India, quote, as soon as humanly possible. And another restaurant company is preparing to hit the public markets this week. The Korean barbecue chain Gen Restaurant Group is set to price its IPO later today. It previously did not give an expected size or price range for the offering. And the IPO comes on the heels of last week's massive trading debut of Kava last Thursday. Shares of that stock are up more than 70 percent since Friday. You know, best IPO performance in recent memory. Are you, are you a Kava fan? Do you eat that? Oh, I am a huge Kava fan. I love yeah. that place. Still haven't had it. I got to try it. Try it. All right, Savannah, thank you very you much. You got it. All right, time now for one of your morning's big money movers. We're talking FedEx. Shares are falling ahead of the open after the company reported lower than expected Q4 revenue and issued some soft guidance for the year ahead. Let's talk more about this with Ken Huxter, B of A Securities Research Analyst. Ken, good morning, and thank you for being here in the house. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me. All right. Give us a sense of how you viewed the quarter. We saw investors, you know, not really taking a fancy to it. We got to put it in perspective. Revenue missed, but it was a beat on EPS and the guidance was soft to mix. What's your view on the quarter? What's your price target? Any changes? So they actually did okay in the quarter. Um, They they actually beat on operating income. Uh, They're really starting to make this move toward reducing their structural costs. It's not about the cyclical costs. They've parked planes, but it's about the future. It's about really stripping out the costs 
We did adjust our price objective down a little bit with our earnings coming down just a couple percentage points. I think that's what you see with the stock this morning. When we think about the future, though, this is about the structural costs that they're pulling out of the business to really uh, change how they, they look at the future. All right. So your price target was 295, now 290, stock trading at about 233 right now. So you do see a, quite a bit of upside. So I think you were one of many analysts that said, Report, you know, we're going to look at the numbers, of course, but really it's about the transformation plan, about consolidating all the businesses that's express ground and freight into one company integrated together, um, and also the cost-cutting plan, multi-billions of dollars over the next few years. What would be your grade on that plan? Yeah, I think we're just in the, in the first uh, early innings of this. You're, you're talking about taking $4 billion out over the next two years, a billion eight this year, 2.2 next year another $2 billion uh, between 22 and, uh, 25 and 27 So you're looking at creating about $18 of earnings potential for a company that's only earning $15 today. This is a huge upside potential when you think about uh, things like you talked about, parking plan- or, or retiring planes, really changing the cost structure. But you, you nailed it on the head. When you're looking at what they're doing in Canada now, combining ground and express, that's really the future of this organization. It's going to be one truck coming to you, not a ground truck and an express truck. You're going to have one consolidated uh, entity. They've done this in, uh, in Alaska and Hawaii as test markets. They've done it in Minneapolis as a U.S. test market. And now they've just launched uh, to do this across Canada. Uh, so you're starting to see these early innings get bigger and bigger steps in terms of cost cutting. You know, as we say this, it's hard to, to understate how big of a change this is from uh, founder Fred Smith's original vision for the company. So really a big sea change for this company. I um, also want to talk to you about their rival UPS. How does this position them against UPS? This year, stocks up over UPS, FedEx uh, stocks up over UPS, but historically, it's been a laggard. Yeah, you know, h- historically, you look at the margin differential between UPS, cash generative, as a trucking company. Uh, obviously, they've got a Teamster contract going on right now. They've got Amazon pulling out revenues. So they've got their own issues, but they're performing well. FedEx, it was really about these thin margins. They've, they've had such right. a bloated cost structure, no cash flow. So now the, the fact that they're making these moves to plot $7 billion of costs, as you get progressed down that line, they could become really cash generative. I think that's when you talk about the future. That's the excitement for FedEx is to create that cash flow. With FedEx, I also have to talk to you about China. So in recent days, we've been seeing a lot of big banks reduce their GDP forecast for China. Um, Goldman Sachs, City, the latest just yesterday. How does this slower recovery in China, how does this continue to impact FedEx? Does it make you concerned about their ability to grow revenues and grow earnings going forward if China continues to be soft? Well, I think what you're seeing is still the belly space is coming back online. So passenger jets are returning as China reopens post-COVID. That's creating the need for FedEx to park more planes. Uh, so they're taking more uh, of those large body jets out of, out of commission. Uh, they're using that belly space to create international economy products uh, to get freight flowing. Uh, but you do need that growth long term uh, as part of it. But they're looking for very thin revenue growth in their outlook. It's got from one to three percent revenue growth over the next year. Uh, so we, we've, it's really about this cost cutting program that you're talking about really creates that earnings trajectory uh, for FedEx to create value. All right, we'll have to check in with you next quarter. They're continuing to try to consolidate and cut. Ken Uxer of BFA Securities, thank you very much for being here. Price target 295 on FedEx. All right. Coming up here on CNBC, a first on CNBC sit down with Roku CEO Anthony Wood. Live from the Can Lions advertising convention, his outlook on the streaming wars and what the boom in AI could mean for how you consume content. Much more Worldwide Exchange, back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on the early trade in Europe and some of the headlines dominating conversations on trading desks all around the world. Our Jamana Brissetti is standing by in our London newsroom with your global briefing. Jamana. 
Morning, Frank. Well, European markets, after starting off in slightly negative territory, have turned around just in the last half an hour, moving towards more green on the board, as you can see behind me, with the exception of the FTSE 100. I'll get to that in a moment. But broadly speaking, we are seeing a bit of a bounce in some of the cyclicals. Autos doing very well today in Europe on strong car registrations. But there is a lot of focus on the UK index. You can see the index is slipping slightly. And this is because we got red hot CPI numbers come out this morning. UK consumer inflation stuck at 8.7% in May, defying expectations for a 30 basis point dip. Core CPI, which is a very, very telling, also increased as well. The monthly jump coming in double forecast. This puts a lot of pressure on the Bank of England. Their monetary policy decision is going to take place tomorrow. And on the back of that, we've seen a huge repricing of the yield curve in the UK. Two-year gilts now sitting above 5%. The market is now pricing in at 36 basis points into the meeting tomorrow. It's about a 50% chance of a 50 basis point hike. The terminal rate is now priced for 6% in February 2024. So interest rates are really moving a lot higher. Ten-year gilts also about four basis points higher today, up at 4.37%. Tomorrow's meeting is going to be crucial. But I want to take you to one stock that we are also looking at from the overnight session, and that is SoftBank. You can see here it is up 3.7% and touching the top of the Nikkei. After bullish comments from the CEO Masayoshi-san at the firm's AGM, San tried to draw a line underneath the Japanese conglomerate's more than $6.5 billion loss in its last full year report. But he instead talked up the prospects for artificial intelligence, and he said that it, the investment firm going forward plans to shift from a defense mode into offense mode. So we've got to see what that looks like. But investors seem to like it, Frank. Yeah, very clearly. Shares up 3.5%. Germana, <laughs> great to see you. Our Germana Brissetti live in our London newsroom. All right, time now for your morning call sheet, where we check on a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. We begin with Barclays downgrading its rating on Tesla from overweight to equal weight. Barclays says the 122% jump in Tesla shares so far this year, just a bit too sharp relative to challenging near-term fundamentals, and that questions remain on margins and demand elasticity. Shares of Tesla, however, up almost 1.5% in the pre-market. Different story for Spotify. Wolf Research raising its rating on the music streaming giant to outperform, saying it sees potential for top-line acceleration driven by price increases and healthy net ads. Looking at shares of Spotify this morning, up 2.5%. And Jefferies raising its price target on Amazon from $135 to $150 bucks per share. It says positive sentiment from AI will help in part to drive the next leg for Amazon stock. Shares of Amazon flat in the pre-market. All right, turn our attention now to the biggest global advertising convention currently in full swing in France. Industry leaders grappling not only with a potential major ad spending pullback, but also a boom in AI. Our Julia Borston is live in Cannes, France with a special guest. Julia, over to you. Thanks so much. I'm joined now by Roku CEO Anthony Wood. Um, Anthony, you're here uh, in Cannes talking about your ad offerings, but I want to take a bigger picture look at what's been going on with Roku stock. Up dramatically this year, 62%, but still down 82% over the past two years. Are you concerned about economic uncertainty impacting the advertising side of your business as well as the consumer side? You know, I think if you just look at Roku's business from a big, big picture point of view, you know, we're the leading streaming platform in the United States. Streaming is obviously very popular. We're in Cannes here uh, this week, talk, and advertisers are talking a lot about the transition of 
advertising from traditional TV to streaming. You know, Roku has 71 million active accounts. We added 10 million new active accounts last year. Almost half of all broadband households in the United States start their TV experience with the Roku home screen. Uh, so, you know, we're extremely well positioned. Our ad business is a, is a great business for us. I mean, obviously it's cyclical and the ad business is in a bit of a downturn, but it always turns around and we're busy innovating and building features, you know, growing engagement on our platform. Last quarter was the largest, uh, we had the most engagement ever per user, almost four hours of viewing per active account. So we're super well positioned and there's a lot going on in the streaming business right now. But are you seeing an overall ad contraction? Because what we're hearing is that the upfront ad, uh, ad market could be down by as much as 15%. You know, we don't we don't break out our, our business, but we're not we're not seeing we're not seeing that. I, and I think po po probably because I mean, obviously, our ad business is down compared to what it, the growth rate is down compared to what it used to be. But we're still seeing you know modest growth in our video ad business. Uh, we're seeing we're seeing some signs of a of a rebound. But what we're really fo but most of that is just cyclical. And then also there's the big transition, of course, of TV advertising moving from linear to streaming. Those are the that's actually the biggest impact on our business. Has the biggest impact on our business. But we are we are focused on innovation. So some pretty cool things that we're we announced. We just recently announced uh, McDonald's is building a building in Roku City. So I don't know if, if you're familiar with Roku City, but you know when I walk around you know at night and I look and I see like purple glows coming out of people's windows. That's the Roku City screensaver that comes on by default, and it's gotten very popular in the pop culture. It's tweeted about once every 11 minutes now. And so it's got a lot of uh, Easter eggs in it. People like to watch it and kind of look for different things. And, uh, and McDonald's is now available in Roku City, which we're pretty excited about. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your relationship with some of these e-commerce players. I mean, McDonald's is one thing, but you have a deal with Walmart, which you announced here a year ago. Mm -hmm. And you just here at Cannes this year announced some updates um, to how that partnership with Walmart is going. You also have a deal with Instacart. How important is commerce to the future of advertising on Roku? Well, we're pushing on we're pushing on innovation in all areas of our of our platform. You know, if you think about what's Roku's advantage in the industry, well, we're we're the leading streaming platform. Which and you know, if, what does that mean? Well, it means you know, television used to be just sort of broadcast and it would just show up on your TV. Now you've got a computer in your living room. Of course, we make it simple and it looks like TV. But but that power of that computer that's in your TV now allows a lot of features that weren't available before. And so we're looking at all those things, whether it's putting McDonald's in Roku City or whether it's integrating more interactive activity or integrating commerce directly into the experience. And so, for example, last year we did, we did announce the T-Commerce the uh, partnership with Walmart, and that's it's going well. I mean, we're seeing a lot of usage of that. When, when a viewer sees a, a, a T-Commerce-enabled ad, 57% of them are now pausing and shopping on that ad. So we are seeing, we are seeing engagement with those ads as well. So there's, but there's a lot of areas like that that we're pushing on in terms of innovation. And there are also a lot of other players that are really pushing e-commerce as part of their ad opportunities, you know, from TikTok um, all the way down the line. Um, I'm curious in terms of the competitive space, your perspective on this new partnership between Comcast and Spectrum taking on Roku with some of these players they're selling at Walmart. What do you think of that as a new rival and how much do you think it's going to impact that part of your business? You know, I mean, if you just look at the, the streaming platform business, uh, our main competitors are Google and Amazon. We've been competing with them for a long time, very successfully. Uh, and the reason is, is we're just incredibly focused on the streaming platform business. We built a platform purpose built for streaming, whereas our competitors have taken a, um, a platform designed for mobile and ported it to streaming. We built something from the ground up for streaming, and that's enabled us to become the number one streaming platform with, like I said, 71 million active accounts, adding 10 million active accounts last year, uh, growing globally. 
So it's a, it's a competitive business, but we are extremely well positioned and doing quite well. It's a competitive business, and you have Netflix, Amazon, all these players looking for those ad dollars as well as being uh, partners for you uh, with their apps on your platform. Roku CEO Anthony Wood, we are out of time, but thanks so much for joining us here at the CanLine Advertising Festival. Back over to you. Thank you. Hi, Julia Borston, live there in France. Julia, thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, Fundstrat's Tom Lee. He's here to lay out the trading day ahead and the key metric that has him bullish on one sector that's quietly making some gains this year. But first, June is Pride Month and CNBC. We're celebrating all month long and sharing stories of corporate leaders with you. As we had to break, here is Poshmark CMO Stephen Tristan Young. For me, as an LGBTQIA who recently went through a surrogacy process, um, I'm very thankful that me and my partner now have two twins. Um, I was shocked at the number of people who felt uncomfortable asking me questions about the process. And for me, I welcome the opportunity to share with them about the struggles, um, the costs, uh, the emotional journey that we went through as partners and how we got there. Being able to answer those questions really felt like I was creating a bridge for people to feel comfortable to understand more about the struggles that we go through. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Live shots from around the world this morning, including London, Hong Kong, New York, and Washington. They're in D.C. Fed Chair Jay Powell will head to Capitol Hill to testify. A lot of people will be listening for any clues about the Fed's rate hike strategy going forward or if this could be even more than a pause. All right, time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed before the opening bell. We begin with a surveillance aircraft looking for the missing Titanic submersible And the five people on board has detected underwater noises in the search area. The Coast Guard says the search has been relocated to determine the origin of those sounds. China responded to comments from President Biden after he compared that country's leader to a dictator. In a statement, China's foreign ministry says Biden's words seriously violate China's political dignity and amount to public political provocation. And Group has confirmed it's developing its own large language model AI by the company's research and development teams, no further information has been released. Back here in the U.S., House Republicans continuing to attempt to pump the brakes on ESG investing with new legislation that could place limits on financial advisors and retirement funds. China unveiling a roughly $72 billion package to help boost the sales of electric vehicles and other green cars over the next four years. The move comes as softening sales in the world's biggest auto market has raised concerns over economic growth. And Amazon announcing this year's Prime Day event will be held on July 11th and 12th. The sale typically offers Prime members some of the best deals with the highest discounts usually for Amazon devices. All right, we are gearing up for the trading day ahead. We're going to get earnings from Winnebago and KB Home today. We're also watching out for weekly mortgage applications at 7 a.m. Eastern. Then at 10 a.m., Fed Chair Jerome Powell kicks off two days of testimony on Capitol Hill, appearing before the House Financial Services Committee. And then later this afternoon, we get some more Fed speak with a speech from Cleveland Central Bank President Loretta Mester. A new note from strategist at Goldman Sachs this morning suggesting that funds should consider hedging their S&P 500 exposure due to risk from crowded bullish positioning, the narrow rally and pricing for growth that has run far past estimates. Still, Goldman's base case for the S&P to climb to 4,712 months, though it does see a possible drop to 3,400 if a recession becomes more likely. Joining me now to discuss Tom Lee, Fundstrat Global Advisors co-founder, managing partner and head of research. He is also 
a CNBC contributor. Tom, good morning. Morning, Frank. All right, so Goldman taking a bit of a page out of your book, pretty bullish at 4,700. I know your S&P price target is 4,750. Has that changed at all with some of the things we've seen in recent days, the market's coming off two days of losses? Uh, you know, our, our thesis this year was that inflation would track uh, softer than expected and economic resilience, therefore, could be stronger and the Fed wouldn't have to be as hawkish. I, I think those things are coming into play this year. And, you know, in the past couple of weeks, I think there is a lot of evidence that inflation's cooling. So, you know, we feel pretty confident we're going to close at least at 47.50, maybe higher before the end of the year. All right. So you're known as a bull. You're especially bull on mega cap tech. So we're not going to cover that. I know you're feeling very optimistic about the prospects there. I want to talk to you about other sectors where you're seeing opportunity. Now, I know you're looking at PMI data, and this may be counterintuitive, but you're saying there's some opportunities in one sector because the PMI data is coming in lower. Can you explain your thesis here? Uh, yes. Uh, we're starting to see evidence that global PMIs, Purchasing Manager Index, it's a survey of uh, people in the industrial industry and, and their, the purchasing managers serve, you know, people themselves, that looks like it's bottoming at a low level. Um, in the U.S., it's around 47. The S&P Global PMI uh, is just starting to curl above 50. We got the Philadelphia Philly Fed Regional Survey yesterday, and that was still weak. But again, even new orders are improving, and prices received and paid are actually easing. This believe it or not, is, is actually a buy signal for industrial stocks because since 1948, whenever you have the PMIs below 47 and they're starting to rise, uh, industrial stocks outperform 95% of the time and the average gains over 22%. So uh, it is counterintuitive. It's really time to buy industrial stocks here. All right. So a lot of upside in industrials, according to Fundstrat, not normally where we turn to you for it. Normally we're looking at you when it comes to tech and the broader markets. Um, you also have a new note that came out last night. You have some stock picks for us. You call them super grannies. So give us just what your favorite of the super grannies you have right now. Uh, yes, our super grannies come from our core stock list of 34, what we call granny shots. These are built on four tactical themes and three or four thematic portfolios. Uh, our top idea today is Cadence Design Systems, CDNS, and it's it may be a name that surprises many people. They're a software company, but they really help design, and they're used by many chip companies to design chips. And as you know, demand for semiconductors, especially AI-related chips, is, is, is soaring. This company is at the center of that. So Cadence okay. Design Systems is an AI play that's not a chip play. You know, I think we're actually showing your sleeper grannies. I meant to put up uh, the cadence design system, but as you mentioned, it's kind of some of the, the framework when it comes to big tech. A lot of big tech companies rely on cadence. Tom, before we let you go, what is your WEX word of the day? And I think the, the word of the day is cooling because uh, we think it's cooling inflation. That means the Fed can allow financial conditions to ease and easing financial conditions means stock prices can go up. All right, certainly something to watch, especially as we see Jay Powell going to Capitol Hill today. Tom Lee of Fundstrack, great to see you as always. Thanks. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. 
with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.